We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back, score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch, or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Thursday, May 14th. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. Alex, we have been blessed like manna from heaven with content to discuss by ESPN, who uh, earlier this week released its list of the top 74 players in NBA history. Um, this, of course, corresponds to the league celebrating its 74th birthday recently. Uh, so not just like a random arbitrary number in the mid 70s. Um, but this list has been circulating on the Internet, on Twitter the last few days. And it, it really doesn't feel like there's been that much of an uproar. Usually when something like this drops, there's like two or three days where you just have to avoid all conversation about it. But I, I think for the most part, this one has served more as like a discussion starter as as opposed to a point of contention where there are just egregious rankings all over the place. Like there are some that we disagree with that we'll certainly get into some that we do agree with. Um, but I, I thought for the most part, this was a pretty good list. What's interesting, and we discussed this off air, is we didn't really get a great look into the process of 
of how this list was compiled. You know, it's an ESPN expert panel where the only info we're given is that these experts voted on head-to-head matchups. So essentially, you know, it's a computer program that says, all right, Damian Lillard or Vince Carter, Carmelo Anthony or Damian Lillard, whoever it might be. And you just, you know, you kind of pick one or the other and it, it aggregates all of that. But there's not a lot of explanation in terms of how do you weigh peak performance versus winning, you know, versus the statistics purely. So a lot of it seems to be pretty subjective. And I don't really have a problem with that necessarily because I think, you know, the way you perceive perceive a player individually is almost more important than what the numbers say sometimes. Like your first reaction when you see Tim Duncan or Kobe Bryant, whichever way you're inclined to click in that matchup, I think says a lot, you know, not having to spend 10 minutes researching, you know, kind of that first instinct. But, um, you know, it raises a lot of questions as to to how you evaluate. So if you were involved in this panel or you were making this list, what are the some of some of the things that you would really weigh heavily when making your decisions? I mean, you kind of have to. I think the first question is how do you weigh someone's prime versus the longevity of their career? And this is where I think certain guys sneak in, like Vince Carter, because they they play like twenty years in the league, even though their primes were not nearly as high as some people that they're above. And kind of along those lines, also team success versus individual success. How much do you weigh those early? You know, Celtics teams, the the Bill Russell teams, essentially, um, even like the Kevin McHale, Larry Bird era, and then same with the Spurs. How do you weigh, you know, uh, those guys against players who were very individually great, but maybe never got to the conference finals even? And I think those are, I think those are the the two first questions you have to answer. Then you kind of get into how do you compare across eras, like pre nineteen sixties. That in its own is its own question. Um, steals and blocks weren't even recorded until 73. Turnovers weren't recorded until 77. Uh, Three-point line wasn't until 79. Um, and then I guess my last question is, do you at all, or should we, weigh the influence of a player, not necessarily on the court, but sometimes on the court, for example, like Steph Curry's on-court influence, very real with, you know, threes, modern basketball, the spacing, everything like that. But how much do you weigh Allen Iverson's influence on basketball culture? How much do you weigh Vince Carter's influence on, like, basketball as a highlight sport? You know, it kind of was, but I felt like Vince Carter, I mean, the dunk contest is iconic, stuff like that. So for me, those were, like, the four main points that I kind of thought of as I was running down this list and thinking what I would do if I had to make my own. Yeah, I agree with all those. I, I think for me, it comes down to, if you have to narrow it down to one question, it's, are you ranking the greatest basketball players ever or the best basketball players ever? And I, I think there's a key difference in those two terms. And it's come up a lot in the Jordan versus LeBron debates, which have, of course, been re-sparked once again uh, in, in light of the Jordan documentary. I, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind, at least, that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player ever. If you want to debate whether Jordan is the best basketball player versus LeBron, I think that's a a much tougher question to answer. And you can apply that to the rest of this list as well. You know, and I think a lot of that factors in winning. You know, I think that's really the main argument for someone like Bill Russell, who comes in at number four on this list. Only a three time first team all NBA. He's eight time second team all NBA. Um, Mr. Second team. I think he has the most second team appearances (laughs) of any player ever. Um, But the case for him is, you know, he won 11 rings and that's kind of an unassailable trump card type of argument. 
And even if those rings came 60 years ago, um, you know, that still holds a lot of water. And it, it, it seems like rings, you know, the last five or six years have kind of come around as, as maybe the number one point when you're starting to evaluate where players fit in the historical context. So looking at the top 10 of this list, I, I don't think there are any surprises necessarily, um, but I'd be interested to see if you have any, any complaints, any grievances to air with anyone included in the top 10. So in order, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell, Magic Johnson, Wilt Chamberlain, Larry Bird, Tim Duncan, Kobe Bryant, and Shaquille O'Neal. I guess first it's hard for me to like do too much shuffling with guys who I didn't see play at all or there aren't like a ton of highlights for. Like I don't I don't really know like it, it's just hard for me to do like Kareem, Bill Russell, Magic or uh, Will Chamberlain that era. It's just kind of tough to shuffle guys around, but I guess Bill Russell for me seemed kind of high at first. I think we agree on that. I, I like at the same time I also don't know what to do with it. There's so little footage of him out there. The he's he was obviously an incredible defender, but blocks weren't even recorded. The three All NBA first team selections compared to the five MVPs was kind of weird, and that led to me discovering that players were voting on MVP until the 1979-80 season. Um, and that was he was going up with Wilt a lot of those years, so someone had to get All NBA, and most of the time the media was voting uh, Wilt to first team all of BA and then Russell would win the MVP who the players voted on. So that's kind of confusing. Um, but he definitely gets a bump here through. I just, just pure winning, you know, the amount of win- rings that he won mm-hmm. is unprecedented. Um, but that was again, also in an era where there were way fewer teams first round, uh, often got a buy. And so he had to win fewer games. There's just like, there's a, I think you can shift Bill Russell around actually a lot compared to a lot of other players in this in this top ten. I I think you can. I agree with you. I'm I'm uh, personally a Bill Russell truther, but I I don't think that a lot of people would allow it. I, I don't think in general you're allowed to move him really much lower. I, th- I think on a lot of lists you see Bill Russell at number two or number three, and it's pretty rare to see him below number five. I think in any list similar to this, I you know. I, I think I would put him a little bit lower, you know, maybe I think he might be outside of the top 10 for me, which I know is like sacrilege, but I, I personally weigh, you know, how, how transferable your skills are, um, you know, not, not even to the modern era, but like Bill Russell, had he come along even 10 or 15 years later, I think is a completely different story. I mean, this is a guy who for his career as the tallest or the second tallest player in the NBA, basically for his entire career shot 43% from the field shot 60% from the free throw line. I mean, the rebounding numbers are unassailable, but if you look into it, there were four players in the NBA taller than six, eight when he was in his, in his prime. And two of those players were him and Will Chamberlain. So you, know, you when we were talking off air, Alex, you said like, how would LeBron do if fourth tallest player in the league was six, four, you know, I, I don't know if that's a perfect comparison, but you have to read into the context with a lot of these things. And I don't personally think that there's anything wrong with saying, this guy was incredible for his era, but I, I think a lot of these guys who have had better advantages as they come up, who are unquestionably more skilled as basketball players, I don't think it becomes this like massive, uh, you know, wrong, I guess, to to move someone down who it's been 60 years, you know, since he was in his prime in the NBA. And that's that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time for 
people, athletes to develop, um, the game to develop. The league has tripled in size since that time. Like, you know, I don't, I don't think it's it's just like a given that he has to be locked into the top five when you're talking about a list like this. No, and I, I agree with that. The, you know, I think that's kind of where I, I prefer to, you know, weigh all NBA teams a lot because that kind of puts into context, like the, how good was this player in their era? Mm-hmm. But then you get into the problem where they only allow one center on the list. And right. I guess that's the argument for, you know, uh, you should have just five positionless, you know, spots on the all NBA team because, it's weird to tell the story of that era of the NBA based on the all NBA first team, which would very often not include Bill Russell. He made three all NBA first teams, which is very little. Jimmy Butler's made two uh, or all NBA teams in general, but I don't okay, think they yeah. were first team. No, like, no, you know no. what I'm saying? Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, he kind of defines the, the era, both the, both the argument for, how do we weigh players of a certain era and how do we weigh rings over individual success? Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you brought up his field goal percentage because like there's the, like people say Bill Russell didn't have to do as much because the rest of his team was so good. Like, Oh, he didn't need to score because the rest of his team was so good. He shot 40% he, on purpose. Could he score? <laughs> I mean, 16 points a game on 16 shots. I would be okay with just drawing a line and saying, look, no more comparing anybody pre-1975 to anybody post-1975. Obviously, that's not realistic. And if you're trying to make a comprehensive list, you have to go back and and really do the work and, and do the homework on these guys. But it was just such a different game that it it's, you know, you hear the phrase all the time, it's impossible to compare eras. And people say that because it is. Like, it was such a massively different game in 1965 than it is in 2020 or 1985 or 1995. Like it just, it's impossible to compare. And I I think I'm fine with saying Bill Russell's the best player pre 1985. Sure. That's fine with me. I mean, him or Kareem, whoever you want to go with, but beyond that, it's, it's really hard to definitively say, no, you're wrong. Bill Russell was way better than Tim Duncan. Bill Russell was so much better than Kevin Durant. Like how will we ever know? We won't. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let's hit on, let's hit on Kobe right away. He comes in at number nine. This is too high. I get it. You know, you you mentioned in the intro, you know, how much do you weigh cultural influence, what this player meant to the game? And it's clear that if you're making a list based on that, Kobe might be number one. I mean, he resonates with people in the modern era, I think, more so than any other player, maybe other than Jordan. And I, I think it's a lock that it's him post-Jordan. I mean, there, there are people who stand for Kobe Bryant, you know, on a significantly higher level than any other player. So I'm not, I'm not debating that whatsoever. But I think Kobe Bryant belongs five to six spots lower. Um, you know, to me, like Kobe versus Curry becomes a little bit more of a debate. I would put Shaq over Kobe. I would put Oscar Robertson over Kobe. I'd put Hakeem over Kobe. I think I'd even put Kevin Durant over Kobe Bryant. And again, this is me leaning more on the who's the best basketball player as to who's the greatest player. Kobe Kobe is a greater player in historical context than Kevin Durant. But I think Kevin Durant is unassailably a better basketball player than Kobe Bryant. However, you start looking into the numbers on Kobe and, and some of the accolades. What was he nine-time first-team All-Defense? Yes. Uh, yeah. Nine times. Yeah. I mean, that's. I, I think you think of Kobe as a good defender, but like you said, you you weigh things like All NBA, you weigh things like All Defense. Like those are voted on by people who care and people who watch the game. And to make the All Defensive Team nine times 
and also be one of the greatest offensive players and greatest scorers of all time is quite the resume. So I don't have a huge problem with Kobe sneaking into the bottom half uh, of the top 10. I just think I would push him down maybe four to six spots lower. I mean, he also played for a, a large portion of his career in an era that we consider pretty bad, like the worst modern era, if that makes sense. I mean, he got in the league in 96. Um, you know, most of his prime was in the mid 2000s. Um, but yeah, I I agree with you on like the Durant and Curry point, and we can get to them in a second. But it's tough because he's he so he is tied for the most all NBA defensive first team selections of all time with Kevin Garnett, Michael Jordan, Gary Payton. But who on earth would put Kobe Bryant above any of those players in terms of like how good they are at defense? I mean, would you I, even put it? Uh, yeah, go ahead. I think well, I think that's fair, but I, I also think that players like Gary Payton were were so much better on defense than they were on offense that he gained the reputation as a defender. Whereas like Kobe was such a good two-way player that his, his offense, even though he was a great defender, his offense was even better. So it kind of supersedes his defensive reputation. If that makes sense. Like very few players have had the reputation of a lockdown defender and a top three offensive player in the league. Like that's pretty hard to do. Usually you're typecast as one or the other, even if you're a great player, right away, you th- like you think of somebody as a scorer first or a defender first. And I think when you think of Gary Payton, all you ever hear is his defense. And I think when you think of Kobe Bryant, you're not thinking about his defense first. You're thinking about all the clutch shots he's hit, all of the volume shots he's taken, all the all the scoring. You know, I, I think um, his reputation just kind of takes away a little bit from how good he was on defense, even if it was in, like you mentioned, that, that kind of like 03 to 08 era where the talent was a little bit drained after a few bad drafts. I guess I'll finish by saying two things. By pure accolades, you would assume Kobe, like if you were a person who really didn't know basketball that much or at all, like you, you'd never heard of the NBA and you just looked at basically MVPs and all NBA first teams and titles, you would probably think Kobe's like the second best player ever. And I just don't, I just could never, I just don't agree with that. Um, I, I don't think this is like the end all be all, but you know, Kobe never once led the league in VORP box plus minus win shares, defensive win shares, any, he never led the league in any advanced stat for his entire career. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I don't think that should be like super damning, but it's also kind of strange that someone who, uh, you know, I, there are people who say Kobe was never the best player in the league at any point in his career. Maybe that's true. I, I think he was the best player in the league for at least one year. I, I think like 05, 06, when he, that was at like peak chucking Kobe. Like you, you said he never led the league in any advanced stat. He led the league in usage rate three times. He was at, he was at, well, yeah. Point, yeah, he was at 38.7% in 05, 06, which is like a ludicrously high number. I, I think he was the best player at that point. I mean, that, that was, LeBron was just starting to come into his own. You could, you could make the case if you really want, but Kobe averaged 35 a game. Which at that point, you know, Harden's really the only guy who's kind of touched that since. But I mean, that was like eight more points per game than he averaged the year before. Like, I, I think he was the best player in the world at that point. Um, but I also think he benefited from people not knowing or caring about advanced stats at the time. It doesn't kill his case as one of the best players ever that he didn't lead the league in, in some advanced stats that are important. But if you want to be in the top 10, like all those guys have been at the top of those lists at some point. You know, that's kind of what separates the ultra elite players from other guys who are incredibly elite. But 
you know, you look at like the leaderboards for guys like Jordan, LeBron, Kareem, you know, Magic, Bird, like Chamberlain. Those guys are at least several seasons throughout their career are leading the league in those important advanced categories. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you're right. This 0506 season was insane. He scored over a third of the Lakers points because they averaged under 100 points a game that season. Um, you know, they went 45 and 37. Um, he took it pretty efficiently. It was 27 shots, almost two steals a game, played 41 minutes. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what more to say. I don't know what more to say. We've had this debate before, I think, on a yeah. prior podcast where yeah. if you're considering accolades, you would argue this is too low. And then sure. some people who if you're considering advanced stats, you would say this is too high. So I think nine is kind of where he settled. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of where the public perception will have him settle for a very long time, if not forever. So Shaq at 10, Oscar Robertson 11, Hakeem 12. I, I don't have any issues with those. We get to 13 and 14, and this is where we get, other than LeBron, our, our first active players on the list. And it's not clearly stated how how active players were were evaluated. You know, are you talking, what if they disappear from the earth today? You know, are we just taking into account what they've accomplished at this very moment? Are you Are you able to project even the end of this season? Are you able to project the next five years? You know, it, it's not really clear, but Steph Curry comes in at 13, Kevin Durant, comes in at 14. I have a pretty major problem with this. I, I think these guys are both rightfully in the top 20. I'm fine with them both being in the top 15. I think Kevin Durant is a better all-around basketball player than Stephen Curry, and I don't think it's all that close. Oh, he's definitely a better all-around basketball player. Right. I don't. So yeah. this this one, I think, really comes down to how you evaluate players. I, I talked to James about this yesterday, and he, he loved it. He, he thought Curry over Durant was the right move. I mean, if I was trying to win a title, I would have Durant lead my team over Curry. Sure. I, I don't know. I, I I mean, it's I think it's fair to put them next to each other. Um, I understand that this is I think some of this is where the influence thing comes into into play, because Curry is undoubtedly a more popular player than Kevin Durant. And Durant has done a lot within the last few years to just absolutely tank his reputation. Yes, exactly. Like off the court, the, the tweeting. The decision to join the Warriors, I think, hurt him. Um, yeah. He's done some things in the last couple of weeks that have hurt his reputation. <laughs> yes, that's true. So I think we agree on that. But do you think there's anything from here on out that either Curry or Durant can do? I think they're both like 30 or 31 at this point to get them into the top seven. So basically over Duncan or over Kobe. Do you think there's anything that in the general, you know, the general public, the eyes of the general public, do you think they can do anything to crack that top seven? Well, look, Matt, to me, Kevin Durant is a better player than Kobe Bryant already. The problem is the resume. Again, this goes back to me kind of favoring who's the best basketball player. Who would you want on your team? I, I think it's pretty easily Durant, but Kobe has five rings. Durant has two rings. You know, he kind of rented both of them. He did win the finals MVP in both of those series. But I mean, I, I, I think a lot of people feel like me in that you'd there's not an asterisk next to them, but it was just kind of like a come on, man situation. And it, it does feel like that's kind of become the consensus opinion where even though Stephen Curry doesn't have any finals MVPs, despite having three titles, it still kind of felt like all those were his team. And, you know, the Durant was just kind of a, a hired gun for those Warriors teams. And I, I think in, in a weird way, going there and winning two titles has, has somehow end up hurting his reputation or his all-time standing like I think it had he like stayed in OKC or even gone somewhere else and just won one title 
I think we view him more positively than we do for how the entire Warriors situation played out. Um, and it's really interesting that we, in general, I think, penalize Kevin Durant for that, but don't penalize Steph Curry for having Durant on his team, which is, is a whole separate argument. Um, but to me, I, I think I would go Durant over Curry. And then to go back to your question of like, what can he do to climb into that ultra elite tier? I mean, would, would one title in Brooklyn be enough? That would give him three. He would likely have three finals MVPs at that point. I think you'd, you'd have to factor in the context of coming back from a really serious injury. You know, if he leads Brooklyn to a title, that means he's coming back at basically full strength. Um, I think that could kind of switch the narrative on him as far as his toughness. And at that point, I mean, it's going to be tough for him to get into the LeBron, Magic, Wilt, Larry area. But there's a, a fairly decent chance that Durant finishes his career with as many or maybe one more title than LeBron. And I don't think he's ever going to pass LeBron, but I think that would at least be enough to get him into the conversation at seven, eight, nine, when you're talking Bird, Duncan, Kobe. I think one more ring should put Kevin Durant in the conversation over Kobe or over Shaq. I just don't think I, I genuinely believe that if Durant rattled off three titles from here on out, that people would still consider Kobe Bryant better than him. His reputation is way too tarnished already to catch Kobe. And like Kobe's popularity is so much higher. There's nothing Durant can do, I think, to ever, in the minds of like the masses, I think Kobe will always be better than KD. Unless, unless KD wins like five titles in a row. Yeah. I mean, if he does something ridiculous, I think the same. I mean, it, it's going to be er, er, uh, easier for Curry to vault up the ranks because I think of his public perception. But I also don't think Curry will ever pass Kobe as well. So I think I think they're both stuck being basically outside of the top yeah. seven for their careers, no matter what happens. I think they could sneak into the top ten. I think mm-hmm. it's conceivable for one of these guys to get ranked over Shaq. Historically, sure. if they win a, two more titles, maybe even one. But yes, I think with Shaq, you start getting into, and it's not true every player in this area, but I, I think for as awesome as Shaq was, there are still people who are disappointed in his career. And I don't think you can say that about anyone above him on the list, you know, like maybe LeBron because of because of the decision. But if you're disappointed in his career, it's because of how he's handled things off the court, not on the court. Everyone above Shaq has like basically maxed it out. You know, Jordan, six titles. LeBron, are you like the greatest like wire to wire career we've ever seen? Kareem speaks for itself. Russell speaks for itself. Magic, Larry, Will. Like there's really you don't ever hear bad things about most of those guys. And I wouldn't say you hear bad things about Shaq, but there are still people who say, this guy had the talent to have eight rings, you know, not the what four that he ended up with. Yeah, a hundred percent. One more note on Curry, by the way. I, I think his defensive deficiencies, I think, kind of cap where he can ultimately land on this list. And it's not really his fault. Like effort's never been a problem for him. But like just the fact that he has the body that he has, I think it's really tough to like ever be considered a top five player ever when you're kind of a liability on the defensive end. Um, so that's one thing to consider. I also think he has a better chance than Durant to tack on another ring or two over these next three, four years as his prime, you know, kind of ends. Like we're, we're going back to the 2015, 16 Warriors essentially next season. And I, I expect Curry to come back at full strength. I expect Clay to come back at full strength, as I've, I've said many times on this pod. I think the big X factor is whether Draymond can still be 
anything close to that version of Draymond, who's, you know, his shooting has fallen off a cliff ever since that 2015-16 season. But they're without a lot of the important role players from that era. And part of it is because a lot of them are just, were older at the time and have just kind of aged out of the league. But having someone like an Andrew Wiggins as now your fourth option or your fourth best player uh, kind of gives this team a, an element that I'm not sure they had before. And they'll have a little bit more flexibility going forward than they ever had, even in the KD era. Um, so I, I wouldn't really rule out, you know, this team coming back strong as early as next year and Curry and, and Clay and Draymond kind of picking up where they left off a couple of years ago. No, this, this Warriors team kind of has the, it's starting to get the vibe of the Spurs where Curry's about to turn 32. It seems like that point, and, and Draymond and Clay are also getting up there a little bit, where people are maybe going to start writing them off or just thinking, oh, there's no way they can recreate that. Mm-hmm. And then, but this, at the same time, you kind of just trust the organization. You, st- you trust Steve Kerr. They've all been there before. Like, right. if Curry plays till he's 38, you know, kind of like a Duncan situation and ends up with two more titles over the next six or seven years. That shouldn't shock anybody, I don't think, because of the organizational competence, how good he is, mm-hmm. and how good, you know, how much chemistry the team has, everything like that. So I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I think that's a really good comparison. I think the way that they've operated as an organization is very Spurs-like, and I, I think their star power is greater than what the Spurs had. Tim Duncan was awesome for his final, like, 10 seasons, but he he really started to fall off towards the end of the decade compared to where he was at the beginning of the decade. I mean, he was still an all NBA caliber player. He was making second team, all NBAs in 08, 09. Um, he was first team, all NBA in 2012, 13, even. Um, so he was still great, but they found ways as he, as he wasn't at the peak of his powers anymore, they found ways to add weapons around him, you know, bringing in guys like Parker and Manu bringing in seemingly the right role players every single time. It, it kind of seems like golden state is always planning ahead in the same way that you always felt like whoever the Spurs drafted, you just felt like that guy was going to turn out or whenever they made a trade, they always got the benefit of the doubt. And you always assume that they were fleecing the other team. And it feels like golden state now has kind of developed that same reputation. Yeah. It actually wouldn't surprise me if they tried to give off this number, this pick and this upcoming draft right. that they're going to get, uh, just try to get some depth. Like if you get the number three pick, just, you know, instead of drafting the mellow ball, just try to unload it for either uh, unhappy star or I mean, I don't really know exactly what their their cap room situation is pretty bad. So I don't know exactly how that would work. But there's an argument that you want that rookie deal based on. Um, yeah, that's based true. On the money. I, I, we've said this before, but like how much different would we be thinking about the Warriors if they had the number one pick in last year's draft? If all this happened a year earlier or you just flipped the draft classes, like could you imagine that would lead like that would lead first take twice a week the Warriors potentially adding Zion, the, the Warriors potentially adding Morant. Like the fact that this class, I'm not ready to say it's a bad draft class because every time we do that, it ends up being surprisingly good. And a lot of the classes that we think are awesome end up being surprisingly average. But the fact that there isn't one or two like can't miss prospects in this draft, I think has kind of tamped some of the excitement of a team like the Warriors going to add likely a top three pick. It would... You know, it would absolutely infuriate the people who hated the Durant thing to begin with, right. because it, it was like you took this pure team that built, le- quote unquote, legitimately through the draft. Then you added Durant through some, you know, just cap room BS. Right. And then, you know, he leaves. Curry gets hurt. The team sucks. 
They waltz into the number one pick. They get an, potentially an all-time player, and things just start right back up again. Uh, I think it would just <laughs> make people really mad, honestly. I mean, there are so many like Warriors fans that I think the overall vibe would be like positive, mm-hmm. and because Curry and that team has such a good reputation, but I think there would be a lot of people who would also despise it. I think that's true. I, although I don't think they've gone about this nefariously. You know, no. Curry's, in, Curry's injury was obviously legit. So was Clay's. Draymond was never the type of player who was going to carry a team by himself for a season. Uh, I, I didn't really feel like they tanked this season. I did, the, the Durant thing obviously felt nefarious. This this really doesn't. But it's an interesting point. I mean, I think a lot of people still hold the Durant situation against the Warriors and just wouldn't change their mind no matter what about how they feel. Um, but it, it's going to be really interesting come draft time to see how they leverage that asset. So looking at the the 15 to 25 range, um, I don't really want to go like player by player here. So if you have anybody in this range that you feel strongly about or want to talk about, just feel free to speak up. But we have Julius Irving at 15, Jerry West at 16, Carl Malone at 17, Moses Malone. A lot of people don't know that Carl Malone's dad at 18 and Dirk Nowitzki at 19. He's not actually his dad. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to cheat and go one forward here because you have written down under Kevin Garnett, who is 20, that you think that Dirk over KG is quote, just wrong. It's just wrong. It is. Kevin Garnett is a way better player than Dirk Nowitzki. Ultimately, I wouldn't want to put KG too much higher. I think he maxes out at like KG versus Malone. It would be interesting to me because KG does have the ring. You know, I, I think a lot of the, the issues that people have with Malone you would never have with KG. Dirk kind of falls into that Curry category where to me, if you're if you're a one-way player and and Dirk, much like Curry, you know, made himself, despite his physical uh, limitations, like made himself into a pretty good defender for what he was. But at the end of the day, Kevin Garnett was maybe not quite the offensive player that Dirk was, but the gap isn't that huge. And I think the gap on defense is massive. Kevin Garnett's one of the best, most versatile defenders ever. Dirk Nowitzki is an average defender at best. And to me, the gap on defense pretty easily vaults Garnett over Nowitzki. They both have one title. The 2011 finals was obviously huge for Dirk's legacy, but it's not like KG went his whole career without a title. Like it's, it's one-to-one in that category. I, I just think to me, like I, I, this would be a no brainer. It'd be, it'd be KG over, over Dirk very easily. KG's prime is all around like the two way versatility puts him over Nowitzki from a pure talent perspective. I would probably put him over Nowitzki here. I think I think what's happening is Nowitzki is getting the bump from staying with the one team and getting it done that way. And then KG gets kind of, he just gets downgraded for his years, like, you know, aging, aging into a title with other stars, which he really shouldn't be. Cause if you compare like that, that's not like a big three situation. I know people like at the time, you kind of forget that that Boston team, people are like, this is insane. Like, how are all these good players on the same team? Mm-hmm. But it's it's nothing like the big three ever was or like no. the Warriors ever were. So I don't know, man. Yeah, I'm I'm in agreement with you here. I'm glad they're, you know, I'm glad they're basically one, two here. Like, mm-hmm. I'm glad there's no actual gap between them, at least. So Dirk has more all NBA selections, which I'm actually surprised. He has, he has 12 all NBAs and Garnett has nine. Dirk, of course, has zero all defensive teams. Kevin Garnett is a 12 time all defense selection. 
Like, I wouldn't even have a problem with just switching the order. Like, if you want to make Garnett 19 and Dirk 20, that's fine. I'm not saying Dirk deserves to be that that much lower. I just think the order has to be flopped for me. During the title he won, what was he bringing to the table defensively? Like, I mean, throughout his entire career, he's bringing almost nothing. I mean, he had, you know, he's averaging a block and a steal per game throughout. He shut down Eric Dampier in that series. <laughs> you can't deny that. So another interesting case, if we move just one spot down, Scottie Pippen is at number 21. And the case with Pippen, I think everyone knows how great of an individual player he was, but always the number two. And by the time he got out from Jordan's shadow permanently, you know, in, in uh, after the 98 season, it was later later enough in his career that even though he was a productive player in Houston and in Portland, it just wasn't really the same. So we really only got like a season and a half of Scottie Pippen as the man at the peak of his powers. And he was great during those years. Um, but, you know, how do you weigh a guy who has six titles but was unassailably the second best player on all of those teams versus someone like KG and Dirk, who were the best player on title teams, but only have that one title? That's a really difficult one. And I've noted that below Scottie Pippen is Elgin Baylor. And this is where you get into a, you know, a discussion about eras where he was a 10 time all NBA selection. And that gets you below Scottie Pippen. And I'm not like that doesn't really feel right. I know Scotty had seven all NBA teams to his name and a lot more titles, Mm -hmm. but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have a huge problem with it because I, I will admit I have a recency bias and Elgin Baylor played long enough ago that I I think you can kind of question, you know, how it would translate. And, you know, I, I think 22 is fine. Pippen at 21 feels a little high to me, although I think there is an element with Pippen's career where you can kind of play the what if game and say, like, what if he was on the Spurs for his entire career? Or what if he was with the Magic? You know, like, I think there's a belief that had he not been in Jordan's shadow, he maybe could have been even better. And he was still pretty damn good as the number two guy. Right. And that's just one of those things where we will just never know. Right. And even even the season, you know, those 18 months that Jordan was not uh, in the league, Scotty's numbers didn't go up a ton. Like his his field goal attempts didn't really skyrocket. The free throw attempts, the assists, none of it like really jumped in an insane way. Um, so it's it's a tough argument to make. And he, I mean, for that reason, he's one of the hardest players to place yeah. in in this whole discussion. He was third in MVP voting the first year that Jordan was gone, and I think I think that's a mark in his favor. Hakeem and Robinson were the only two ahead of him. I don't know that there are many guys who have been the number two on a great team who could do that at that point. I mean, he's 28, so he's, you could argue he's at the peak of his powers. But, you know, I don't think if I don't think if Curry retires, Clay Thompson's going to be third right. in MVP voting. The Pippen-Jordan dynamic is probably closer to Durant-Curry than it is any other duo. Like, I mean based on this list, like that you have the best player ever and the 21st best player ever. So on average that, that comes out to what 11, you know, that's, that's higher than any other duo you're going to find. Yeah. That's a pretty good comparison. If you're doing all time stuff. And like we discussed before, Curry and Durant probably won't move much from where they sit now. So it in right. theory averages out. Mm-hmm. All right. So Charles Barkley comes in at 23, David Robinson, 24, I'll, I'll pause before we get to the next group, but these two alone, I, I, I feel like Charles Barkley was probably the better player compared to Scottie Pippen, but then you start getting into zero rings versus six rings and 
that that's enough in favor of Pippen that I, I don't have a huge problem with that. David Robinson is one guy that like I, I always like implore to people who haven't like dug into stats from the nineties, like go to his basketball reference page. He has one of the most insane statistical pages that you'll you'll ever see. And maybe the knock on him is he never won as the guy. But I, I think if you just want to argue pure peak production, I think there's a pretty good case for David Robinson to be a little bit higher on this list. Yeah, this one felt low to me, especially if we're thinking about only primes, essentially. I mean, he's, he, he started kind of late uh, in his career because he was in the Navy and he was <laughs> doing Navy stuff. Yeah. Uh, and all players in the 90s were doing that. <laughs> exactly. And he was cut short to get injury, but he still made 10 All-NBA teams, eight-time All-Defensive, one MVP, one Defensive Player of the Year, was the scoring champ once, was once the rebound champ and the block champ. Um, and prior to his injury, he averaged 26.5 points on 17.3 shots, 11.8 rebounds, 3.5 of those were offensive, 3.6 blocks, 3.1 assists, 1.7 steals. He's also second all-time in win shares per 48 minutes. I think you could put David Robinson over Barkley. I think you could put him over Scottie Pippen. I wouldn't even argue that much if you put him over Kevin Garnett or Dirk Nowitzki, honestly. Yes, I think he he loses the longevity argument, and I think that's probably his ultimate undoing. I think if he had played three or five more years, certainly at at peak performance or close to that, we're talking about him probably in that like thirteen to eighteen range. You know, I, I think I think him versus KG is like a really good a really good argument. But you look at his six year peak is higher than KG's and much higher than Dirk's. Over a six-year span from 1990 through the end of the 95-96 season, he averaged 25.8 points, 11.7 rebounds, 3.3 assists, 3.6 blocks, 1.7 steals, shot 53% from the field, 38 minutes a game, nothing egregious there, uh, missed less than 20 games in that span. Uh, obviously, things fell off for him quickly, and I think that's held against him, but I mean, his peak was as high as any player not named Michael Jordan in the 90s. Yeah, I agree completely. All right, so at 25, we start getting into some more modern guys. Kawhi Leonard is 25. Dwayne Wade is 26. Giannis is 27. And we'll pause there because the next group, I think, kind of goes together. But Kawhi is a really, really, really interesting case. And you have noted on our on our document, he's already in the top 30 in career playoff win shares, which is huge for a guy that you know, was kind of a bit piece early on and then got a little bit of a late start, not a guy who came out as, you know, as a one and done or out of high school, like a lot of these guys. Um, the question with Kawhi is how high can he ultimately climb? I think he can go over Scotty um, for sure, because I think they're very similar players, at least statistically. And, you know, for a while, I mean, Kawhi is like the case of, you know, if Scotty Pippen actually ended up with his own team, because sure. we had Kawhi on the Spurs winning titles with Duncan, who is better, and and he actually ended up ditching and forming his own team with someone who is also very very good, uh, but that Paul George is not as good as him. So he kind of has his own team now, and I think that will help his legacy because if he can win at least one title with, uh, I guess he already won one title with him as the best player in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he and he got the Finals MVP with yeah, the first. Yeah, it's two Finals MVPs, right? right? Which is, I mean, that puts you in insane company because I think 
only this looks like about only 10 players all have multiple finals MVPs. Yeah. Um, it's like Willis Reed, Hakeem, Durant, Kobe, Larry Bird, Kareem, Shaq, Magic Johnson, LeBron, Tim Duncan, and Jordan are the only players with multiple finals MVPs. So I think he easily has a chance to go over Scotty. Um, again, I think he's going to bump into Kobe. I think he can get up that far. Although yeah. I think he's going to have kind of a tough time with like Curry and Durant. But mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I talked earlier about guys in the context of Kobe where you usually remember somebody as either an offensive or a defensive guy. I think Kawhi kind of breaks that. Like he was known as such a great defender early on, still is, but his offense caught up. And I I, I think he's, for the last couple of years, been the best two-way player in the league pretty easily. Yeah. That yeah, counts no for something. I, I love the, the Pippen comparison. I think I think he's the closest thing we've seen to Scottie Pippen on both ends. And I think there's a case that just because we've seen it with him and we we really only got to see it for like a year and a half with Pippen, I think his offensive ceiling, Kawhi's, is a little bit higher than Pippen's was. Would it, would it be worth anything to you if he wins a third title and a third finals MVP with a third different team? Like, does it matter to you if he's doing it with three franchises versus some of these guys who've done it all with the same team? I would have to think about that for a while. Um, does it, I mean, does it mean anything to you? Do you have a strong opinion on that? I mean, it's something that sets him apart. Certainly. I don't know that. I think some people might say, might view it as a negative. You know, I think there are a lot of people who really revere magic and bird and Duncan because, and Kobe for that matter, guys who've all done it with one team and, you know, kind of wrote out the ups and the downs. And that's usually viewed as a positive. Whereas, you know, Kawhi kind of forced his way out of San Antonio, left Toronto for greener pastures after one year. Um, but at the same time, it, it doesn't really feel like people blame Kawhi. You know, he's kind of always been moving on up with each of his stops. So it, it's going to be interesting. I, I would guess, I mean, over under one and a half titles the rest of his career, what would you say? Wow, that's tough. Um, I think he'll win another one. I'm going to say under. I'm still worried about the injury. Like I'm, I'm one of those people who think he, he'll probably end up calling it quits before a lot of other great players did. Like yeah. if he just retired at 34, that I mean that would not be surprising. And I think, you know, you bring up uh, people potentially viewing his three titles uh, or potentially three titles with three different teams as a negative. I actually think his departure from the Spurs. I think history is gonna look. Uh, at the Spurs as the bad guy in that situation. I think Kawhi yeah. is going to be the one who comes out actually on the positive side of that because at first it was completely the opposite. People were like, oh, Kawhi is so selfish. How could you do this to the Spurs? Class act organization, et cetera, et cetera. But then you kind of start looking into more how they were treating his injury compared to how we felt about it, how legitimate the injury seems to be. Um, and kind of how the clip or the Spurs immediately after he lost are like not doing well at all from an organizational right. perspective, kind of the downfall of the Spurs and the ascension of Kawhi. I don't think people are going to, I don't think people are going to look back and view that as badly as they did in the moment. I think you're right. And I think the main reason he's exonerated is because he won the title. You know, he, he went to a, a new speed forces way out. And like you said, there was some animosity at first, but he was unquestionably the best player played through the injury in the playoffs and won the title. And once you win the title, a lot of that just goes out the window. Unless you're Kevin Durant, and in, in some cases LeBron, you know, you're, you can kind of do whatever you want if you win the title that year. And we kind of, I think we saw that, like, Kawhi's reputation and popularity have skyrocketed over the past calendar year, even. 
Yeah, and him leaving Toronto, I don't even think that fa- is going to phase anybody. Oh, like I, I, everybody knew what was going on there. So, yeah, right. yeah. I think I think ultimately the the three titles with three different teams potentially is going to. I think he'll just be looked at as a neutral. I mean, you kind of isolate sure. each situation. You understand why it happened. So I think it ends up being a neutral. I think you know three Finals MVPs doesn't really matter the team context. So D Wade at 26, I think that's spot on, perfect. Giannis at 27 is really interesting, and he's of all the current players, I think he's the most interesting case because we just don't know. And I get the impression, even though that it's not laid out, that the people voting were probably just based on what's happened so far. And if that's the case. 27 might be a little too high, even though he's probably going to have a second MVP. He doesn't have a title. And is there a player above him? I guess Charles Barkley doesn't have a title. Um, But everyone else above uh, Giannis on the list has at least one title. So, you know, I I think he's accomplished a ton already. But you have to remember, peak Giannis has only been around for, what, three seasons? Like a guy based on his development and uh, and his background, you know, obviously got off to a pretty slow start to his career compared to a lot of guys who are top five players in the NBA. You know, he didn't come into the league averaging 25, eight and eight like Luka Doncic. It took him a little bit. Um, and I think if you project out, there's a chance he could be easily in the top 10. But the fact that we just don't know um, makes makes the honest to me really, really hard to rank. So he's going to win the MVP this year. I'm like 99 percent sure that when he does that, which I think people I think people are assuming that's happening. And so he'll, he'll become the 14th player ever in NBA history to win two MVPs. Mm-hmm. That accounts for a lot. And I think that's a huge part of what's shooting him up the list. He could also win defensive player of the year this year. Um, that I'm not as convinced about. But ultimately, I agree I agree with you. We're sitting right in the middle or right at the, at the beginning of Giannis's prime. Um, he's about to turn 26, for reference. He's... Um, you know, he's he's doing well in the advanced stats. The Bucks are we're basically on a just under 70 win pace. But you I think you have to look at this list from the perspective of with current players, players who are in the league right now. You have to rank them as if what how would you rank them if they just disappeared tomorrow into thin air? Mm-hmm. And if Giannis disappeared into thin air, he'd have four all stars or five all stars, four all star selections, four two MVPs. Uh, four all and, NBA, three all defense. Right, and that's good. But yeah, he, uh, he doesn't even he doesn't even have a conference, uh, or he doesn't have a he he hasn't won a he hasn't been in the finals. Right. So I think that that would hurt you know his case a lot. I think it's just high, man. I don't know if he should be over John Stockton. I just don't think you can do it. Right, but then but like when you hear the words, ah, Giannis or Stockton, you know, then it's like, what are we talking about? Of course it's Giannis. But when you're comparing the the breadth of an entire career, John Stockton has 11 all NBAs, five all defense. He's the assists and the steals leader. Like, yes, technically right now, John Stockton's what 20 year career or whatever it was is probably better on aggregate than Giannis's seven and a half year career. But it is. Yeah. I mean, nobody's, nobody's sitting here claiming that John Stockton was better than Giannis. So it, it gets into, you know, what the actual exercise is here. And I think the exercise overall benefits players whose careers are over. Yeah. And Giannis will end up over Stockton, but I think yes, for now, course. I don't, I don't want him there now. The next group I think is probably the most interesting stretch of this entire list. 
28 through 32. And there's a guy uh, at number 40 who I think should be in this group as well. But starting at 28, John Stockton, Allen Iverson, Steve Nash, Isaiah Thomas, James Harden. I think you could poll 100 people and you would get as many permutations as there are possible with this group of five. Yeah. And Nash is one of those guys who also has two MVPs to his name. I think that's pulling a lot of weight here. Those, There's a lot of controversy surrounding those MVPs for sure, but he still won them. Um, I think, yeah, you could... This is a weird mix of eras. It's a weird mix of styles. It's a lot of... Po- it's very point guard heavy aside from Giannis. And I think how you sort this list, like I said, and like you said, you can sort it a lot of different ways. Like I could see putting James Hargan at near the top of this list based on what he's done. I could see, I could see you putting him over Nash, but I, I could see arguments for everyone, but like you alluded to, shouldn't Chris Paul be here? Yes, I completely agree. That's who I was alluding to at number 40. Based on how this list is constructed, I'm just really surprised that he isn't in this group. I, you know, you have Steve Nash with the two MVPs. You have Allen Iverson, who has an MVP. John Stockton, never even close to winning an MVP. He has the, the counting stats, certainly, but was never higher than seventh in MVP voting. I believe Chris Paul was second uh, in one year. And then the argument for Isaiah Thomas is he has the two titles. You know, obviously his career ended a little bit earlier than a lot of these guys, but, but the two titles go a long way. Um, and Harden at 32, who, yeah, I, I think I think he's the guy that people feel the strongest about one way or the other. I think a lot of people would pencil him in as fifth on this list and wouldn't think twice about it. I think a lot of people who really respect the scoring and the playmaking would put him at the top of this list. But what's interesting to me is I think the biggest knock on Chris Paul's entire career has been that he hasn't won at the highest level. And of this group, Isaiah is the only guy who has. So like, what is keeping Chris Paul from jumping up what would be about 10 spots and kind of staking his claim somewhere in the Stockton, Iverson, Nash, Isaiah, Harden group? I'm not sure what's really happening here. I mean, he, I mean, he has seven first team all defense selections as well. Right. Chris Paul does uh, four first team all NBA. Um, obviously one of the best pure point guards of all time. Um, I think he should have won that MVP that year over Kobe. Uh, I think that was 07, 08 uh, where he averaged 21 points, 11 and a half assists, 2.7 steals. Mm-hmm. Um, 21 points was on 16 shots. Like, I don't know, man. I, I don't know what he has to do here to he the thing is the unfortunate thing is he's he's playing really well still right now but he's out of time like he's virtually out of time to to do anything to vault him up this list yeah unless he wins another title and it's hard to see chris paul at 35 plus him winning another title and people viewing that as he was a major impact guy on that happening Right. Uh, with that. That's sorry. That that's I think the key point with him. I think he can win a title, but he can't. His time for being the best player on a title team is over. Exactly. And so I don't know. I I have no idea why he's this low. I can't. I can't wrap my I can't wrap my head around it. One of the best overall, just high like guys you would just want with the ball in your hands running a team. I know he gets crapped on for the like oh, you know he has some bad playoff appearances. I know. I'm sorry. Some bad playoff appearances. Um, and it was unclutch at points, but still a guy who averaged 21 points, eight and a half assists with only 2.7 turnovers in the playoffs, 2.2 steals. Right. Like, 
Yeah, I think once you dig into the numbers, Chris Paul is not a choker. And the people voting on this obviously have done that. I, it was just really surprising. I, 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 that's, I think the biggest mistake on this entire list it just you know all the other ones that we've talked about you can make a case for why this guy's here why this guy's there like it really just doesn't add up to me he has the longevity he was great right away he has the the accolades in terms of all nba in terms of mvp voting all defense like you mentioned i i think someone like iverson specifically you know his impact on the game um which again you've, you've harped on a few times it was so high that if you want to value that i'm fine with it you know i i think in a vacuum, Chris Paul is a better player than Allen Iverson, but Allen Iverson is the far more impactful player. He's the guy who is more beloved. And if that means more to you on this list, that's fine. I'm not going to tell you that's wrong. But I, I think it just has to be, there has to be a smaller gap than 11 spots between Allen Iverson and Chris Paul. Right. And, you know, this, like, this is where, you know, uh, like the awards are going to tell you a lot more than numbers. Mm-hmm. to some extent especially on defense like iverson if you looked at his numbers you would see that he led the nba in steals per game three times but he never made an all-defensive team right so like <laughs> i don't know i'm with you I, there's there's not a world where i would ever have iverson over chris paul to for either a career or to help me win a title that season or even to help me win a game so i think a lot of the what's happening there is just influence on the on the league in general so obviously iverson doesn't have a title either but i really think just making the finals in 01 did so much for his career i think he would be viewed completely differently if he never made that finals well he bumped up against kobe and Shaq, right so then people are kobe's ranked so high and so you know people no matter what iverson it it doesn't matter that he lost in the finals they could have scored 70 points in every game and people would be like, well, yeah, of course they lost. So right. I think him getting there, you're right, does pull a lot of weight. And if, if he if he won, <laughs> if he won, people would have him like 12. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, maybe rightfully so. I mean, if they won, that would mean he had the right. series of a lifetime. I mean, he they won game one. And it, I think in a lot of people's memory, like the step over game that was in that finals. They lost that series in five games, you know, but I think people remember the step over People remember Iverson going for 48 in game one. And I think people also remember how awesome that Lakers team was and how outside of Iverson, how pretty bad that Philly team was. So in some ways, maybe he should get a pass just because they, they really never had a chance to win that series. Um, and they played him about as tough, I think, as they could have given the discrepancy in personnel. What do you think about Jason Kidd, who kind of comes in between that group of five and then Chris Paul? He's at 35. I just don't think. Again, another guy. I don't think Jason Kidd should be above Chris Paul. I know the the All NBA and All Defensive Team resumes are very very similar, um, but I just think Jason Kidd. I think they were very similar uh, as far as uh, passing, their playmaking abilities, and their defensive abilities. But Chris Paul was such a better scorer. It's not even close. Like, I think that the gap between Jason Kidd and Chris Paul in terms of offensive versatility is so wide that I just, I mean, I I know, you know, his, his ring with Dallas is probably pulling some weight here, but I don't, I don't care about that ring in terms of whether or not he should be above someone like Chris Paul. 
Yeah, he was 37 at that point. Still a key piece. He started 80 games for that team, started every game in the finals, averaged eight assists that season. So yeah, it still means something. It's not like he was just a hanger on with that Mavs team. Right. Like he, he was a key piece, but he was also averaging 7.9 points per game that season. I, I'm with you. I, I think it's close. I think I would I would most certainly have Chris Paul over Jason Kidd. To me, that debate, you know, like like I said, it's it's kind of like the the Dirk and KG thing. You know, they're close, but to me, it's easily Paul, even though the gap maybe isn't that big. Um, but I think both of those guys probably deserve to be in the conversation with with Stockton, Iverson, Nash, Thomas, and Harden. Like that that group of seven to me could go in just about any order. I'd have some preference within there, but um, I, I don't think. Kid and especially Paul deserve to be that far back. Um, but that, that's enough Chris Paul discussion. He's underrated. Uh, we have in the 30s, in the late 30s, Kevin McHale, 36, uh, Patrick Ewing, 37, uh, and then a couple older guys, Bob Pettit and Walt Frazier at 38 and 39. I I don't I don't have strong thoughts about these guys. We're kind of starting to get into like the tier two, tier three superstars, guys who were never really in the debate for best player in the league, but we're always kind of in that secondary, you know, perennially a second team All NBA. Sometimes would jump up to first team type of tier. Except for Bob Pettit, of course. Of course, <laughs> two time MVP. Right. I gotta say, I don't know anything about Bob Pettit. I, I don't know. Sit out the Bob Pettit discussion. I'm I'll, I'll sit out the Bob Pettit discussion as well. Except for if we're talking accolades again. Oh, he's white. literally. I know he was literally white. literally indefensible that he's below Patrick Ewing. If we're talking accolades. Uh, indefensible uh, that he's below a ton of guys on this list due to accolades. He played his first season for the Milwaukee Hawks. Yes, he did. <laughs> in the, his picture's in black and white. Uh, so that comes into play as well. That's something to consider. If the picture's in black and white, that's kind of a red flag. Or a gray flag, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, all right, well, let's let's move on. I think McHale versus Ewing is kind of interesting. And I just want to note, like, I had no idea Kevin McHale was a great defender. Like nothing about him screams great defender, but he was six times all defense selection. No, because when you hear Kevin McHale, everyone talks about the post moves. Yeah. The so offense. I assume that he was this like dominant offensive force and like arguably was, but somehow only made wall one all NBA team. Like he was yeah. clearly great on offense. Like he, like he scored 26 a game one year on 17 shots, but yeah, and also had two blocks. I don't. Yeah. But I, I agree with you on that. It was, that was surprising. My only note on Patrick Ewing, uh, his his best season, 28.6 points, 10.9 rebounds, 2.2 assists, four blocks, one steal. That's that's an all-time individual season. He wasn't able to sustain that as long as some of the other guys who are rightfully higher up on the list. But my God, that is an insane season. That looks a lot like the uh, David Robinson season. Yes, exactly. And he scored, he, he scored those 28 points on 20 shots which is also pretty good not quite yeah. as efficient as robinson but still very good I mean, free throw shooter for the type of player that he was right all right so in the 40s we got to start with westbrook you always hear the two sides are, are you a koozie guy or a westbrook guy bob koozie <laughs> comes in at 41 russell westbrook comes in at 42 i honestly think russell westbrook if, you, if they if espn put out a list like this every month for the last five years like there might be a month where Westbrook is number three and there might be a month where he's not even on the list at all. Like it, it, it people are so hot and cold on him. Um, but I, I think 42 is probably about right. Although for a guy who won an MVP, uh, for a guy who statistically has some of the most mind boggling seasons that you're going to see, I think he's someone that as we move further away, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, I, I think there's a chance that people 
look back on him maybe more favorably? Westbrook is one of got to be one of the most polarizing players in NBA history, partially because his career and his prime line up almost exactly with the like advanced stats revolution. And it's kind of gotten hurt by that. Um, and I personally have extremely mixed feelings about him. I don't think he should have won the MVP that year, but I don't know, man. I mean, you know, Kuzi's got 10 first-team All-NBAs. Westbrook's got two. I think that ends the debate right there. True, true. I think he is somebody that, I think maybe it's hurt his personal legacy that he kind of came of age right as advanced stats came of age, and that was reflected in a lot of the voting. But I, I do think there's a chance still that, in the future, people will look back and, you know, maybe basketball reference will be defunct by then and we'll be evaluating players by a completely different metric. But I think people will see, wait, this guy led the league in scoring, averaged a triple-double, averaged a triple-double the next year, and averaged a triple-double the year after that, and we're ranking him behind Jason Kidd? I don't know. I think that's going to hold a lot of weight for people who are just kind of looking at the statistics in the same way that for some of these guys who we didn't watch, you know, we're just, we're kind of, we have no choice but to just judge the numbers. And I think the numbers are pretty favorable when you look at the raw stats, maybe not the advanced stats, but I, I think people will see those gaudy counting stats and that's going to help him. Yeah, I think so too. I think, I, I do think this ranking is actually pretty fair. Anthony Davis at 45 is really interesting. I think that's too high. If we're applying the same rule of, you know, that we talked about with Giannis, where it's, what have you accomplished so far? And as great as Davis is, he hasn't really accomplished much. You know, he is he is already a seven time all star. All of those coming in the Western Conference, that means something. But, you know, it took him a, a several years to shed the injury prone label. He wasn't automatically great right away. You know, kind of had a, a pretty average rookie season as far as great players go. And, you know, his, his, what he does defensively, I think, has probably become underrated. He's getting a little more credit for it this season and has a chance to be the defensive player of the year. But, you know, based on what he's accomplished so far, I was pretty surprised to see him in the top 50. I was too, and I'm wondering if he's getting the LeBron bump here because it's hard for me to envision Anthony Davis at 45 as a member of the Pelicans this year if they went if they won if they were on pace for 35 wins, right? Like Yeah, speaking of the LeBron bump, I did think it was weird that Jared Dudley is at 54 on this list. <laughs> Yeah, uh, same with Anderson Varejo. Yeah, I mean, Quinn uh, Cook Quinn Cook ahead of Vince Carter? I don't know. Oh, my God. Mo yeah. Williams? Yeah, da- I mean, Davis is a tough case, and I, I don't have much to say about him because, like Giannis, it's, we have to see how it goes. I mean, I, he could go, he could be a top 20 guy 10 years from now. We have no idea. Let's say this L.A. thing really does work out. Like, maybe they win the title this year, whatever that means, whether there's an asterisk or not. And three years from now, he's the number one guy. And I, I think like the ultimate Lakers plan of LeBron kind of aging out and becoming the number two guy and handing the keys over to Davis. And that works to perfection. And Davis has two finals MVPs six years from now. I think he's somebody that we'll look at a lot differently. I think so too. And I think, you know, it's his career arc so far is like a, it's like a, con, a condensed Kevin Garnett to some extent. Like he's this dominant two-way big who for the first you know stretch of his career could knock it on a winning team although garnett got way farther i mean garnett was better his teams went farther but davis kind of bailed on that early garnett stuck with it a lot longer and davis is like oh i think i'm good you know he's kind of going down this path and he swerved very hard at 26 years old 
and is now the number two to LeBron. Although Kevin Garnett himself has said if he could do it over, he would have done it sooner. So I, I don't knock Davis for getting out of New Orleans. I think if you do want to knock him for something, it's that he wasn't able to get that team into the playoffs consistently. Whereas even though Kevin Garnett didn't lead the Timberwolves to the finals and they ended up getting knocked out of the first round like six or seven years in a row, he at least got him there. Whereas Davis was only able to get the Pelicans to the playoffs twice in seven years. Right. I mean, they needed him to play the 20 games a year that he missed. Yeah, I I think they just needed him to be more of a winning player. Like the stats all imply that he was helping winning and he of course was, but like, I I don't know. Was that Pelicans roster that bad? Like probably fairly comparable man to man to, to those T wolves rosters that KG was dealing with. Yeah, but uh, no, I, I agree with that. I just like, he was missing 20 games a year. Like could, 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 could those wolves teams have survived if Garnett was missing 20 games a year? No. So yeah, yeah, and it's hard to weigh. Like, do you do you really penalize a guy for that? If he's, I mean, these were all legitimate injuries, as far as we're aware. Right. So Bill Walton at forty-eight. I have a pretty big problem with this. He's one <laughs> of the guys, and there there are a handful of guys that you just have to like, you have to slot in at a certain spot just because of how they're viewed historically, and you know, kind of the uh, the Bob Cousy treatment, the um, George Mikan in at thirty-four. It's like I'm not going to sit here and make a case for why. A guy who played 70 years ago is so overrated. Like, I just don't, you know, there's no there's no reason to do that. But with Bill Walton, yes, he has the title. Yes, he has the MVP. Um, he was the best player for one NBA season, certainly. And he was, he was, by all accounts, revolutionary during that season. But he played three good years in the NBA and missed significant time in all of those seasons. I'm okay with him being on the list, but I think being in the top 50 for having that short of a run, it's just it's just not enough. It is weird. Two-time All-NBA. Obviously, you said one MVP, but yeah. I mean, He's getting I, the benefit of the doubt that I don't think they gave other players. You know, it's 100%. always like, man, if he would have stayed healthy. Like, why, if by this, by this logic, Penny Hardaway should be like 55 on this list. I think we also see this with T-Mac later, but... Yeah. I, but T-Mac, but yeah. T-Mac had... A much longer like T-Mac was good for almost a decade. Walton was good oh, for yeah. three years. I can't defend the Bill Walton. So uh, like, yeah, you know, it's uh, tough. And I, not to harp on, on Bill Walton too much, but it's also not like he averaged 40 and 20 that season. Like his best <laughs> year, he averaged 18 and a half points, 14 rebounds, four assists, three blocks, one steal. I don't know. Like if David Robinson has three seasons like that, he's, he's not making this list in, in the top 50. I think there's a certain lore around Bill Walton that has really helped him over the years in terms of what his playing career has meant. A hundred percent. I think if he did not have the personality that he had or has, the question is, does Bill Wall never make it on this list if he never takes acid? And I think the answer is no. Couldn't agree more on that. Reggie Miller at 49. I think this is a little too high. I remember when I first started like really, really getting into basketball, he was one of my favorite players. I was obsessed with that. Uh, Reggie Miller versus the Knicks, 30 for 30. That was one of the first ones that came out. Bought it on DVD. I think it's the only DVD that I actually own. And I was like kind of disappointed to look at his basketball reference page. And like I I was picturing this guy's like, he must be averaging 30 a game. He's hitting, you know, he's taking 10 threes. And obviously the game was different back then. But I just, for a guy who only made five all-star teams, made the finals, but never won, you know, was a very, very good player for a long time. But I I would argue never an, an actual like elite 
top five player in the NBA. At 49 just feels a little too high. But the counterpoint to that is we're kind of running out of guys with unassailable cases. And the guys below him all, all kind of start to have flaws as well. If you kind of said on the surface, do you think Reggie Miller is the 49th greatest player ever? At first, you kind of want to be like, no, I, I don't think so. You know, three NBA teams. You look at his stats, you're like, kind of just looks like a scorer to me. Like, no real defensive acumen. Okay passer. Didn't rebound. Um, was shooting threes before his time. And I think that helped his reputation. Is that he was just, you know, before the revolution of three-point shooting, he was taking six and a half threes a game in his prime, or at the age 31. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I also agree with you that you start looking below him, and it's there aren't a ton of other players to put above him definitively. There are, but not, it, especially if you start considering the longevity of his career and the consistent winning. Yeah. Yeah, I love Reggie Miller as a player. Yeah, I've, I've fine with him being where he is, I guess, on this list for that reason. But I mean, never made it, never even made a second team all NBA, never finished higher than 13th in MVP award shares. And that year was late in his career. I mean, he finished 13th in the voting at age 34, you know, well, well past his prime at that point. So if you want to use those as metrics, like he was never, never a top 10 player in the NBA. And I, I think that's fairly damning. But like I said to you before we started, like, in my mind, there are just there are more like great players over the last 70 years where you're like, no, of course he's not the 49th best player. But you, you kind of start to run out once you get into like the low 30s. You know, you can kind of make a case against a lot of these guys. And, and that's certainly the case for Reggie. How, how do you think he compares to some guys in the 50s and 60s like Tracy McGrady, who's 52, Gary Payton is 53, Paul Pierce, 54, Vince Carter, 55, Ray Allen, 56. I hate Paul Pierce. I'll be open about that. He's my least favorite athlete of all time. I think I would, I think I'd put Paul Pierce ahead of Reggie Miller. I think that's fine. I just think, uh, I don't know what to tell you, man. I, I was also never a Reggie Miller guy, so I don't think I belong in this conversation. Like I was Vince Carter the whole time. And I think Vince Carter is way too high on this list. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, Vince at 55 is pretty wild. Who doesn't love Vince? Like he's like arguably the most lovable guy in the league which is insane based on where his reputation was like 15 years ago but i mean 55 i don't know he's had longevity but it's not like he he hasn't really been like a good player in eight years no the longevity argument is where it comes from and he made two all nba teams that's that's nothing when you're talking longevity like reggie miller averaged double digits every single season of his career you know, like he was a productive player at age 39. He, was, he led the league in free throw shooting. He was still averaging 15 a game in his final NBA season. Like that's longevity. And not to knock Vince Carter, but like hanging around and just kind of being the old man for five or six years at the end of, end of your career doesn't really add anything for me. Yeah, I mean, his career, <laughs> for all intents and purposes, ended when his career in Dallas ended. Memphis, Sacramento, Atlanta, none of that should count towards a legacy has anyone actually seen vince carter play 51 games for the suns have we confirmed that that happened i remember it but i really don't remember seeing it no i don't either that seems like forever ago and like that that, it seemed like his career was like about to be over when he went from orlando to phoenix right he played nine more seasons and i mean this is going to be the last one but i mean he has an average double digits in seven years so again, not to like pile on Vince Carter, but I, I just, that to me doesn't really add anything to his legacy. I guess the question with Carter is like, he was 
really, really good for a good six-year span. He was good right away. He averaged almost 20 as a rookie. And then from 99 through the end of the 0405 season, he's at 25 points, five rebounds, four assists, one and a half steals, one block, 45% from the field, 40% from three. This is kind of where he you're going to these stats are going to lump in with like Paul Pierce and other guys like that, where he wasn't like his actual, you know, the, from his first to his last all-star game is 25 points on 20 shots, which isn't super efficient. He wasn't, he didn't have a better than two to one assist to turnover or anything like that. Um, didn't like, wasn't majorly successful in the playoff. I mean, doesn't have a ring. Um, I just like, I think, I think he is getting propped up. I think he's a guy who is getting propped up by the influence he had on, the game sure. uh, and that's fine his highlight dunks the dunk contest um everything like that he was my favorite player growing up and so you know i think i think that's weighing some here but sure i don't think he belongs here at 55 i think him versus t-mac is pretty interesting uh, i think t-mac had a, maybe a slightly higher peak but obviously vince has had significantly more longevity Looking at Paul Pierce again, I hate—I don't even like that I'm saying this, but I—I've—I've I've long always said that like Paul Pierce's career was saved by KG and Ray Allen showing up. Like I think Paul Pierce is remembered completely differently, and this is not really a hot take. I think a lot of people believe this. Like things go way differently for him if if those two don't show up, and and it kind of revives his career. But he made more All Star games before those guys showed up than Reggie Miller made in his entire career. So again, I hate to be propping up Paul Pierce, but. I, looking at the numbers, it's pretty egregious that that he's at 55, and I, I hate to say it, but he's probably him versus T Mac is is a is a debate. And Tracy McGrady was my favorite player growing up by far. He's still my favorite player ever, so it pains me to say it, but um, you know, not a guy that ever had playoff success really at all. And the numbers look great, but when you're talking about a, a peak that was really only like six or seven years, it, it makes for a pretty a pretty difficult case. I have no opinions on Paul Pierce. Like, I don't know. Okay, like, I lived through that. I lived through that entire era. I have no opinions on either Paul Pierce or Reggie Miller. And I don't know if that's because I just cared about, like, highlight plays when I was young. But, like, I, I have nothing to yeah. contribute to the conversation, honestly. So what about Ray Allen, who comes in just behind these guys at 56? Ray Allen's interesting because he his his peak, he was, like, very before his time. Yep. Um, and I think the early parts of his career especially with Milwaukee kind of get overlooked or people just kind of like acknowledge, Oh yeah, he was good with Milwaukee. And then they kind of jump into Seattle and Boston and obviously hits the shot with Miami, but he was another guy, his stats very much look like Paul Pierce's stats, mm-hmm. but like their primes, um, you know, 20 point, basically 20 points on 16 shots, handful of assists and rebounds every game about a steal. Um, but only two all NBA teams. You know, I think the NBA right. championships, the the titles help him a ton late in his yep. career. I think yeah, that's he, he's a guy too. Like we've talked on past podcasts, like we were discussing Ben Wallace on the pod on Monday, and we talked about how he, in some ways, benefited from like being in his prime at a time when there weren't a lot of great centers. The opposite is true for Ray Allen. Like the mid two thousands were the era of the shooting guard, and he just, I think he had a really tough time ever like cracking a first team or a second team when you had Kobe Iverson. Um, and even some of the point guards who were taking up those spots, Tracy McGrady, Vince Carter, like it was, it, it did always feel like he was like a half step behind those guys. But I think his, his like best case is that that peak season in Seattle, right before he goes to Boston, when he averages 26 and a half points, 
takes eight threes a game, you know, shoots uh, back-to-back years, basically averages 40% from three. Um, certainly a guy who is ahead of his time. We got to talk about Manu. Yeah, that would help. We need to talk about Manu. 58. I mean, <laughs> give me a break. 58. The title's here pulling a lot of weight. I think, you know, he's going to get, he's getting propped up here because he has that, it's like that air of the sixth man who knew his role and never, like, he, he, like, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I feel like he gets, he gets propped up for the fact that he wasn't the best player on any of the title teams. If that makes sense. Um, like the ultimate role player, the ultimate right. sixth man. If you're the ultimate sixth man, are you a top 55 player ever or a top 60 player ever? Like, I know he was really good. He made two All-NBA all teams, was an extremely efficient scorer, was a good ball handler, maybe invented the Euro step. But there's not a lot there. I agree. I And I don't think we're taking into account international resume, which significantly hurts him maybe more so than than any other player. I think maybe the argument that you're trying to get at, and correct me if I'm wrong, is why is a guy's legacy getting better when we're talking about him being like the third or fourth best guy on a team? Right. Like usually, usually that's not a good thing when you say like, well, he was never he was never the, a top two option on his team. Whereas for Manu, him not being a top two option somehow increases his legacy. Yeah, it's like that Spurs thing. Yeah. I, I don't know how you explain it. Two time All Star. Did make two yeah. All NBA teams. I mean, the four titles are, of course, the the, the biggest mark in his favor. I, I don't have a problem with him being on the list. I think he should be he should be like number seventy three or seventy four. If you want to sneak him on there, that's fine. But I mean, a guy who I know it was his choice for the most part to come off the bench for more than a third of his career games. Like that's that's not that big of a deal to me. But to say that guy's a top sixty player ever just just feels a little I don't know. I don't even know what the right word is. It's, it's just wrong. Yeah, it's one of those situations where people, you, you mentioned he like elected to come off the bench. People are like assigning him more talent when he never did it. It's like, oh, we know this guy is this good, but he just doesn't do it. That's a great way to phrase it. And that's fine. I think that's probably right. I don't think that's wrong. But when you're when you're putting together a list like this, you, you have to use what happened, not what could have happened. Right. And I think that's right. That's right as well. He had a pretty like... His best season, I, I would argue, he didn't make the All-Star game, but he averaged 19 and a half points on 13 shots. Crazy. Uh, four and a half assists, you know, two and a half turnovers, one and a half steals. That's a great season. But <laughs> tons of players in the NBA have that season. Tons. Uh, so I don't know, man. Um, it's just it's too high. Yeah, I think he's maybe the ultimate case for like what what's your individual criteria? You know, are you valuing a guy who is an integral part of a great team for a long time, or are you valuing who's the actual better basketball player between this guy or this guy? Is there anybody in the sixty to seventy four range um, who you want to hit on before we get to a couple other items? You have a note on Alonzo Mourning. I do. I he's he's kind of someone like. Like Reggie Miller, where at first I was like, eh, 63 for Alonzo Mourning. That seems a little high for a guy who, you know, was good right away, but, you know, probably peaked in like his fourth NBA season and 
had a really nice run from 93 to 2000 and you know ended up ended up missing a season at age 32 with the kidney disease but you know and his his prime was basically over because of that uh, after after he turned 30 you know at first i was like that's maybe just not enough for me although you know great defender led the league in blocks twice the numbers through his first 7 years are awesome made five all-star games during that span. He's one of those guys, like I said, like Miller, where you start to look at the guys below him. And as much as I might think he's a little high, I have a hard time making a case for the guys below him to be above him. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I think it's interesting he's below Rodman. That he's he's really tough. He deserved to be on the list for sure. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know how you rank Rodman. Such a unique player. Well, yeah, because he was what the third guy on the on the on those title teams. So you're kind of right. getting into like a Manu discussion, aren't you? Except that. But with him, there was never. Yeah. There was never like, man, Rodman needs his own team. No, exactly, and he's got def- he's got two defensive player of the years under his belt as yeah. well. So I mean, you have to, you know, right. there's got to be a place on a list, I think, for a guy like Rodman. Obviously, the fact that he put up 1950s rebounding numbers in the 1990s is insane. Like I. I I'm totally fine with him being on this list. I'm sure there are some people who would say he you know, didn't do enough on offense or was such a cancer off the court that they would keep him off. But the rebounding is so jaw-dropping that he has to be on the list for me. Yeah, same here. I don't have much to say about the end of the list. Damian Lillard, uh, I think, is noteworthy. He snuck on at number 72. In terms of like how good is Damian Lillard compared to someone like, say, Tony Parker, who's at number 70, I think Lillard should be higher. And I think when they do this list in 10 years, he will. So I, I don't have much to say about that. Neither do I. I think, yeah, I think Lillard is definitely better. Probably one of the most underrated players in in recent memory, Damian Lillard. Um, yeah. He's just going to end up like one of those winningest players who like probably never end up with a title unless it happens late in his career, unfortunately. But yeah, I think his career, I think he's probably a better player and certainly a much better offensive player, but I think his career could end up looking a lot like Gary Payton's when it's all said and done. Yeah, I think so too. All right, so let's look at some of the guys who possibly should have been on this list. You know, you and I both put together some some players. It was pretty tough, I will say. There's there's not many guys um, who you can really make a strong case for. I, I know two who are highlighted you know, in the ESPN article. The writers did like a little Q&A afterward. And I think it was Tim McMahon who said he was really surprised that neither Carmelo Anthony nor Dwight Howard made this list. I think Dwight Howard should have Bernard King's spot, right? Bernard King's at 69. Yeah. Yeah, I think Dwight definitely deserves to be on the list. I think he suffers more from the reputation or hit the fall of his reputation than anyone else. But I mean, Dwight Howard was so, so good for a long enough time that I think it's enough to cement him in this list. Yeah, I think I think you should be on here. Um, yeah, I just I also wanted to note before we jump to these guys, Argus Gilmore barely makes this list, and I I did some like looking into what his accolades are. He's got one MVP. He's got five All NBA selections, five times All Defense. He has a ring in the ABA, and for basically a stretch of fourteen years, averaged twenty points on thirteen shots, thirteen rebounds. Two and a half assists, two and a half blocks, and half a steal, and he he barely makes this list. So those Bulls teams were bad, but yeah, his longevity is insane. As far as Melo, do you think there's anyone on here that he definitely deserves to be over? I don't know. It, it's tough to say, like man to man. I 
I'll probably keep coming back to Tony Parker just because I, I feel more comfortable having seen Tony Parker's career or even like Pau Gasol is at 65. Uh, like I'm not going to be like, you know who doesn't deserve to be on this list? Dave Cowens. <laughs> I don't know. I Maybe he does. But I, I mean, Melo's kind of gone through the same thing as Dwight Howard, maybe not quite as severely, but, you know, people have really turned on Melo, it seems, over the last three or four years. And I think if they put together this list in 2015, he's easily on it. But the way that he's fallen off towards the latter end of his career has, I think, has really hurt and in a lot of ways miscolored, you know, how good he was for for a really long time. For a 10-year span, 07 to 2017, Melo averaged 25.4 points, seven rebounds, three and a half assists, one steal, half a block, 45% from the field, 36% from three. He has a scoring title. The All-Stars are there. He's a 10-time All-Star, six-time All-NBA. The overall resume is absolutely deserving of a top 74 spot. Yeah, the thing he really needed to do was just dominate the playoffs or just play a little better in the playoffs than he did during the regular season. Sure. He just never did. I agree. It, it, it just seems like other guys got the benefit of the doubt. Then, you know, like, let's say, let's say if you, if you made, if you extended this list out to a hundred, Mello is at number 80 is five time all-star Reggie Miller, really 31 spots better than Carmelo Anthony. I don't know. Uh, same with Vince Carter. I, sure. You could easily argue. I think Mello had a more successful career than Vince Carter. Yes. That's a, that's a great comparison. And I, I think that's where the logic maybe doesn't hold up. Like what, yeah, why does Vince get that? And it's not like Vince Carter is number 74 on the list. Like he's Vince Carter easily made the list and Mello did not like that. To me, that's too big of a gap. Right. Other guys I had, um, and I, I don't think either of these guys necessarily should be on here, but I, I think there's a case. Sean Marion, uh, very underrated, and, and a guy who I think probably sneaks in to like the top 100, maybe at the latter end of that. Only a four-time All-Star, but someone who I think, contrary to Mello, is going to age pretty well. You know, as we you start to realize like how awesome this guy was in terms of the advanced numbers, especially on the defensive end. I think Grant Hill, you know, very short peak. We know about the injuries, but still was a seven-time All-Star despite the injuries and. You know, his run to begin his career is about as good as just about anyone, especially during that era. Um, so he's he's another guy that you kind of have to play the what if game. But but to me, he put together enough of a resume over his first six years alone and was still a very productive player, even though he had to change his game completely. He was another he was put together a great second decade of his career just being a very good role player. I wouldn't have had a problem with him uh, making his way to the end of this list. I mean, if Bill Walton is on this list for, I mean, he may, he, you know, he won MVP, but. I mean, Grant Hill was a seven time all-star. Like I said, five time all NBA. He was the rookie of the year. He's a hall of famer. Right. I don't think Derek Rose should be on the list, but it's worth noting that he's the only MVP that's not on the list. And that includes Bill Walton. Yeah. The T Rose is tough. I think, I think in a perfect world, he'd end up in the hall of fame for being the youngest MVP ever. And for the season that he had, but it's a chance I, he gets there. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think he should be in the hall, but I don't know if he should be on this list. I think the problem with him, and this is a whole separate debate, but like I think his off-court issues, you know, like I don't think there's a lot of sympathy for D Rose. Like there was a lot of Derrick Rose sympathy circa 2014. That's kind of evaporated, right? 
One guy I thought was interesting is Sidney Moncrief. Hall of Famer, five-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA, five-time All-Defense, two-time Defensive Player of the Year as a guard. You know, based on some of the other guys from that era who who were able to sneak in, I, I think there's a case for him. I think so, too. I think he just... People just felt comfortable leaving him off because it's Milwaukee and he never won a title. And that was enough True. for people, despite his numbers, his prime numbers being as good as anybody on this list after like 45 or 50. Yeah. Uh, also possible that he was penalized for his nickname being the squid. Uh, yes. Do you have anybody else, um, former players, or we can get into some of the current guys who, who would eventually make a list like this? I was kind of I was just going down the list of like win shares and I, Chauncey Billups came up and that's another guy who I think probably has an argument over Vince Carter. Um, and then I wanted to bring up that LaMarcus Aldridge is 61st in career win shares over both Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker, which was shocking. I had Aldridge in the top 10 on my list. So, yeah, I was really shocked. <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting one when you look at the advanced numbers. I mean, I think we probably agree he he has no business being on this list. You know, he's he's somebody whose numbers maybe exceed how good he actually was. Like, I, I don't think anyone, even at his al- absolute peak, I don't think anyone was like, damn, we got we to gotta go up against LaMarcus Aldridge tonight. My question is, well, yeah, in thinking about LaMarcus Aldridge in that way, I was wondering if you polled somebody who watched basketball in the 60s or the 70s, how many of the guys on this list would, you know, would that person be like, that guy isn't, oh, his, his, his numbers are fine, but like nobody really respected him as that kind oh, of a player. Yeah. Like who is a LaMarcus Aldridge of 1978? Yeah, because he's, he's clearly, a, he's five-time All-NBA, clearly a winning player, is in the playoffs almost every year of his career. But you and I and most of other, other people talk about him like, yeah, whatever, who cares? Like, so I, yeah. I, I just, I always wonder if, you know, going back, there's players on this list who fall into that category, and both neither you or I would understand or have anything to say about those players. Let's say they make this list again in 2035. I think there's a very good chance Luka Doncic makes the list. You know, you I think he's somebody you'd say, barring an injury, he's virtually a lock. However, beyond him, it's it's tough to say that right now there's a guy in the league, other than the guys who are already on this list, the active players, who would be like a stone cold lock to make a top 74 list, or I guess at that point it would be a, a, what, a top 89 list if they're sticking with that theme. The guys that I, that came to mind as just maybe for me were Simmons and Embiid, Kyrie Irving, Paul George, Nikola Jokic, Carl Towns, Morant and Zion, you know, you have to say just because they've been so good um, through one year, but obviously way too early to see where that's going to go. And then the one guy who I think actually had a case to make this team this season is Clay Thompson. I would take Clay Thompson over Manu Ginobili. Oh, that's tough. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're it's very similar profiles, right? Although Thompson's a legitimate starter and a legitimate all-star and or made five all-star teams already is either the third, somewhere between the second and fourth best player on those title teams, right? I don't think anyone would say he's worse than Draymond, but, you know, so he's either second or third best player, kind of, yeah, I think. Well, I don't know. I, I think in 2016, Draymond was so good 
that there that Clay was pretty definitively he was the second best offensive player, but I think he was the third best overall player. I don't know if that really matters all that much, but again, he has as many All Star games as Reggie Miller, and he has five straight years now averaging twenty plus points, career forty two percent three point shooter on significantly higher volume with a three point line that's further back. I agree that it maybe it would have been weird to put him on this list because he has only been in the league for what eight years. And, you know, he's won three titles in that span. But but like you said, I think he's always thought of as the complimentary guy. And there's we haven't seen him be able to lead a team by himself. And there's a pretty good chance we never will. Whereas with someone like Reggie, even though like in my mind, I want to say Clay's the better player. We have seen Reggie Miller be the best player on a team that went to, you know, the Eastern Conference finals and a team that ultimately ended up making the finals later on. So, you know, at, at least with Reggie, like we've seen him do it if that's the comparison you want to make. Whereas with Clay, we his career might unfold a lot like Ginobili's where he's just in a great situation his entire career. He's really good in that role, but there there might always be a kind of a what-if factor with him. And, and that could go either way. Like maybe he would have his own team and it would be a disaster. Who knows? Right. I think that's, I think that's the perfect way to put it. Um, as far as Embiid was a guy I considered, kind of worried about the injuries, but if he can put up, you know, 27 and 12 with like two blocks for his entire career. Obviously he's going to get in. Uh, I think um, just based on like the all NBA teams and potentially all defense teams and potentially, I mean, he's a guy who could win defensive player of the year at some point. Um, if not multiple ones, um, Luca, Luca is the one I obviously, I, I feel the most confident in. Um, he's already better than Vince Carter ever was. Uh, I agree. Yeah, you can't put a guy in the list though this early. No, I, I know. Be something. Yeah, he's just kind of uh, picked up what his career's at at this point, I guess. Yeah, I feel like Jokic should get in. Towns, I think it'll depend a lot on playoff success. Uh, I think there's ugh, Kyrie is tough, man. My first initial instinct is like no way, but people love with him. It's, with him, it's tough. I, I think he'll always have that shot, and he'll always have that title. And that's going to, as as all huge shots in Game 7 of the NBA Finals do, it's going to age really well. And I think people, unless, I mean, unless his career just continues to, I, I, I don't know if spiral is the right, right word yet. I don't think it's quite that severe. But if he not only continues to <laughs> kind of trash his own reputation, you know, for a whole generation of fans, and then also miss 25 games every year, he's he's going to be right on the border. Um so we'll see. I mean, he's a guy that I think his next like three to five years will really determine how he's remembered. Towns is going to be really interesting because the numbers are unassailable so far. Four and a half seasons in, he, he played about half of this year. He's at 23 points, 12 rebounds, three assists, one and a half blocks, 40% from three, 53% from the field. So he's someone that even if the even if he only ends up making the playoffs four or five times in his career and he never wins a title, I think I think we'll look back and be like, man, this guy averaged 25, 12, four and shot 40% from three for seven straight years. And that's going to be pretty tough to keep him off of a list like this. Right. And somehow he's only made one all NBA team. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's like egregious, but it's going to hurt his legacy. If it keep, if he keeps getting bumped by players who are like deserving, I mean, you, you know, like Jokic is deserving and beat is deserving. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge towns guy. I think he's, 
I, it's hard for me to imagine him as like not a winning player. I can imagine him as not the best guy in your team, potentially. But there's no way that he can. I I, I just don't. He's really don't, he's really tough. You have to you have to like grind the tape to see why they don't win. You know, like on on the surface, you're like, how is this guy giving you a, an ultra efficient 27 and 11 every night, and you're not winning? And I don't know. I mean, it's it's really tough. He's he's a super tough case and. I don't think he should have been included, obviously, on this list now, but it's tough to project out. I, I think one thing that he had in his favor coming into this year was playing 82, 82, 82, 77 games his first four years. So it was like, at the very least, he's going to keep putting up these insane statistical seasons. And now these knee issues creep in, and and hopefully it's just kind of a one-year thing. But if he's no longer a guy who's giving you 77-plus games every year, I, I think maybe that changes things a little bit, makes his outlook at least a little more murky. He is someone, though, who should be able to age pretty well because he's not a great, he's not like a dominant athlete. Like, he's a great shooter. He's solid around the basket, but he's not like dunking over people. You know? I don't know. I, I think he's got it in him. I think he should age well because he doesn't carry any extra weight. That's one thing. You know, you wonder about like, what is 32 year old Jokic going to look like or even 30, 31 year old Embiid, you know, who's already had his share of, of issues. Yeah, like I can just imagine Towns as like a 35-year-old just shooting a ton of threes and posting up once in a while and scoring an easy 15 a game. Yeah, I, I would feel pretty good about him, you know, eventually being a top 75 player, but we'll see. I mean, he has he has a lot of reversing to do just in terms of the narrative. I think that's that started to follow him as, as not being a winning guy early on. Do you have anything else do you want to throw in there before we wrap up? No, I think, I think we covered pretty much everything that uh, I was hoping to cover and more. So, yeah, I think yeah, I think I'm pretty content with what we what we got. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate all the research that you put into this. We'll be back on Monday with another rewatch. Looks like we're leaning toward the 96 draft right now, but there there are four drafts that we're deciding between. So uh, we'll have that out on Monday afternoon. But until then, enjoy the weekend. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.